Your Majesty's a Hishik, a Heilshi, a Eri, is a Yana Ushler, Fat Firkin Fulcher, Roviluk, the Oras and Uktron. May I extend a Kidmeal of Fulcher on behalf of the people of Ireland to Their Majesty's King Carl Gustav XVI and Queen Sylvia of Sweden on this occasion of their second state visit to Ireland. Okoit Kiluruk, Agus Farim Firkin Fulcher, I've had the pleasure of meeting their majesties previously on a very special occasion when I was honoured to be Seamus Heaney's guest at his Nobel Prize Award ceremony in 1995. A prize awarded to Seamus Heaney, as the citation read, for works of lyrical beauty and ethical depth which exalt everyday miracles and the living past. Our cultures carry much of a shared history. The Viking period and the clear influence of the Norse scales in our culture and language is manifest. We credit, for example, the Vikings with establishing our principal urban settlements, including our principal city. And then, too, our love affair with the written word ensures that the Irish Annals, a series of manuscripts compiled by Irish monks over a millennium, comprise one of our richest sources of knowledge about our Viking cities. The importance of mythology in the history of our two cultures is another form of Seamus Heaney's exalting of the living past, and the scholarship of both of our peoples shares a deep and extensive interest in mythology. Norse mythology consists of tales, of deities, beings and heroes derived from numerous sources from both before and after the pagan period, including what is suggested from medieval manuscripts, archaeological representations and folk traditions. Central to both Irish and Norse mythology are the plights of the gods and their interaction with various other beings, both their benign and malignant touching of the earth and earthlings. Our shared interest has had a valuable institutional expression. Sweden has long had links with the Irish National Folklore Collection held in University College Dublin. This archive, which owes so much to the work of the late Seamus O'Delarga, the former professor of folklore at University College Dublin and director of the Irish Folklore Commission, has performed and continues to perform an essential function I suggest in ensuring access to our forebears' intensity of vision and imagination, to the diversity of their beliefs and practices, and their extraordinary inventiveness. It enables us to approach that unique combination between the particular and the universal that is the characteristic of vernacular culture. The late Bo Gunnar Almquist, former professor of Irish folklore at University College Dublin, who was born in Alster, Western Sweden, and who studied at Uppsala University, a university I've had the privilege of visiting when I served as Minister for Culture, is perhaps one of the best, most well-known Swedes among academics in Ireland, for he made a remarkable contribution to the study of Irish folklore, including more than 90 articles and numerous books on Irish and international folklore. Among the innovative courses Professor Almquist instituted during his career in University College Dublin was a module on the folk tale and medieval literature. 
I am delighted that we are joined this evening by other distinguished scholars from the world of Irish and Swedish folklore, including Professor Seamus O'Cahan, former head of the Department of Irish Folklore in University College Dublin. Another shared near contemporary interest of our two countries is the area of film, and indeed the arts more generally. For two countries with relatively small populations, Ireland and Sweden, can be proud of the significant contribution that the creative citizens of both of our nations have made to the world of arts. When one thinks of wild film, in particular of Swedish film, of course the work of the great Ingmar Bergman immediately comes to mind. Bergman was without doubt one of the greatest artists of the 20th century. He made through literature and film a unique and seminal contribution to our understanding of the human condition, the human spirit working often in a symbolic and emotional language that was deep to the very core, yet accessible. His influence on modern-day directors remains immense, including on Irish film directors. There are a myriad of such valuable connections between us. Tomorrow at the National Library, we will hear of the influence of Ross Strindberg to James Joyce's work. Indeed, my wife Sabina, in the past, has acted in two plays, Miss Julie and the Father, from that great prolific Swedish playwright, author and artist. Turning but briefly to contemporary issues this evening, we must all now be concerned for the future of our shared European Union. We must neither forget nor neglect the importance of the European project and the enormous benefits that have resulted for both of our peoples from its being and particularly its impact on social and environmental conditions for our people. And in that regard, of course, Sweden has played a central role. Developments such as the European Pillar and Social Rights were signed in Gothenburg in November 2017. The Pillar, aimed at delivering new and more effective rights for citizens through a set of 20 principles and rights, from the right to fair wages to the rights of healthcare, from lifelong learning, a better work-life balance, and gender equality to minimum income. The European Union continues to have the capacity to be a union where the rights of citizens in a fast-changing world can be secured and advanced and in new conditions. <coughs> For example, in dealing with inward migration, which is such an important issue, and I suggest in parts of the contemporary di discourse and for malignant purpose, is an abused issue in Europe. Sweden and Ireland, in relation to migration, have a common experience. May I suggest that our experience of managing inward migration into our two countries is something at our different levels of which we can both be proud. Future historians will acknowledge the profound humanitarian and practical example of Sweden in regard to this issue. Historically, of course, our countries can both claim to have had similar experience of outward migration during the 19th century, especially to the United States. We are all now living in the world <coughs> of a new economic order, where productive capital is so much lesser than new speculative flows, a development that has exacerbated the conflict of ecological, social and business models, leaving us a challenging legacy, one that threatens human survival itself. And we with others need to discuss a new path to symmetry between these dimensions of our lives.
and we might with benefit recall the pivotal role in the past of certain Swedish figures in attempting to shape a socially responsible economic order that also secured and delivered peace. I think of figures such as Olaf Palme, whom I had the fortune to meet many years ago, who played a hugely significant role in international politics from the 1960s, with his policy of non-alignment towards the superpowers, accompanied by support for numerous liberation movements following decolonization, including an informed, idealistic, yet practically economic and vocal support for the efforts of a number of developing countries. And, of course, when one speaks of a morally inclined political economic in the literature, there are so many Swedish scholars from which we have all drawn, from Gunnar Myrdal to Goran Thurborn. In so many global challenges, Sweden, Your Majesty, has given a lead. Sweden has been at the forefront of climate change policy and sustainable development since the 1980s, when it was one of the first countries to apply economic instruments, such as carbon taxes, and other policy measures aimed at climate change mitigation. A Swedish Climate Act in 2018 established targets for net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2045. Ireland's government has announced that we will be following such Swedish example with an ambitious climate change plan in the coming months to ensure that we are on a path of decarbonisation across the economy. And may I also pay tribute to Sweden's contribution to human rights legislation. In 1766, Sweden became the first country to introduce freedom of the press. And today, human rights, of course, are central to Swedish foreign policy and our own foreign policy. In 2008, Sweden chose eight prioritised areas to be advanced in its foreign policy work for international human rights, including building democracies, strengthening freedom of expression, abolishing the death penalty, combating torture, combating summary executions and arbitrary detention, protecting the rule of law, protecting human rights and international humanitarian law, and fighting discrimination. And at the United Nations, we both share leadership on disarmament issues. Ireland and Sweden have a shared vision of a world where the production, storage and use of all nuclear weapons would be banned. And this aspiration is given tangible form in both of our consistent support for multilateral institutions and through them for disarmament and non-proliferation and in the determination of our peacekeepers to prevent conflict. Ireland's peacekeeping has always been strongly predicated on our neutrality. As members of the United Nations, we are committed to maintaining international peace and security and in honouring the commitment our position as an independent and neutral state has been greatly valuable. For over 60 years, United Nations peacekeeping has served as the standard bearer of the world's shared commitments to international peace and security. Membership of the United Nations has, for both of our countries, been a central pillar of our foreign policy. We have worked together within that framework to promote global peace and security, and both of our countries have sought to be neutral mediators in the pursuit of international justice, conflict resolution and peace, and the promotion of global welfare. Our history of serving together as United Nations peacekeepers has created a profound connection between our two nations. Today, we continue to serve on a number of UN missions, including in the Middle East, Western Sahara, Democratic Republic of the Congo.
And we in Ireland are proud of our record of six decades of unbroken UN service in peace support missions all over the world and the Irish men and women who make it possible. Your Majesty, I know that you share with your cousin, Prince Charles, whom I met this week, a concern for nature. And during your time here, I'm delighted that you will visit the Burn, an area of outstanding natural beauty on our Western Atlantic coastline. The Burn is renowned for its gentians, but also for its unique agricultural traditions, and considerable thought and effort has been expended on ensuring that our farming tradition can continue in that region with simultaneous protection for priority habitats for conservation. The Burn Farming for Conservation programme, which you will see, we regard as an exemplary project which shows a great understanding of the role that must be taken by local farmers if we are to emerge if we are to merge the urgent demands of environmental concerns with sustainable economic and social factors. And you're also undertaking a visit to the Marine Institute, whose research is so important to us in developing policies which will support the sustainable development of Ireland's marine resources. The connection between Ireland and the ocean is, as in the case of Sweden, as old as time itself. For the sea has played a fundamental part in both of our social and economic histories. And it is to be recalled that as an island nation, Irish people, and in particular our coastal communities, have always depended to some degree on the bounty that our seas provide. The fishing sector plays an important role too in some of the regions and communities across Sweden. And I know as president that we share common concern for the conservation and sustainable use of the oceans and their resources, and an understanding that the world can no longer continue testing them to the limits. Celebrating all that I have mentioned, and all that we have been sharing, and all that we will share in friendship and ever closer relations, assisted by your visit, may now I invite all our guests, distinguished guests, to stand and join me in a toast to the good health of their majesties King Carl Gustav XVI and Queen Sylvia of Sweden, to the happiness and prosperity of the people of Sweden, to the continuing friendship and affection between our people. Sláinte Skull.